Welcome back to the Cowboy Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Sharp, joined once again by co-host Chad Waldron. Hi, Justin. Good to be here again, and uh, I'm glad to, to see you. I know that you checked in late last night at 9.45 after the <laughs> vice presidential debate. Please get that done on your AT a little bit earlier next time. Yeah. And today's special guest, another pretty big one for the show, Lake County Commissioner James Williams. Hey, thank you, Justin. Happy to be here. So today we're going to talk about a few uh, things like we Pretty much the same theme that we've been talking about for the last few episodes, fire and all that. Uh, but before that, I want to restate that the podcast is on a few new platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So those are probably going to be easier for you to listen to on whatever device you're using than Podbean. So go ahead and listen to, there's an episode titled, uh, New Places to Find the Podcast. There's going to be all the instructions you need right there to find that. So. Hey, Justin, I did get several comments from staff thanking us or thanking you for getting that on Spotify. Much easier platform to listen to than the Podbean. Yeah, 10 times easier for basically everybody. Uh, so, does you have any other week or news of the week to mention, Mr. Walden? No, I think I'm okay. Just uh, I'll do, I'll give the uh, same announcement I've given every day, seven uh, periods a day. Get your work done and get your Google Classroom, check in your Google Classroom every day and do your AAT every day that you're not at school. Other than that, no, all, uh, sports practices started this Oh, week. yeah, they did, yeah. We had 12 people out for football practice, at least a dozen out for volleyball. I don't know about the uh, basketball. I saw a bunch out there, and I had one student come and talk to me about baseball. So there we go. Yeah, and then, so what, uh, how are practices going to work? They're going to be once a week, right? Fall sports are going to be on Tuesday after school. Winter sports are on Wednesday after school. Spring sports would be on Thursday after school. Okay, and all sports are going to be going at the same, all practices are. All right, so now let's get into our interview uh, with James Williams. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, James Williams, Lake County Commissioner. Yeah, so uh, what did you do before you were a Lake County Commissioner? Uh, a lot of things. Uh, primarily, I was a farmer. Um, I also worked at the sawmill just before I took office. I worked at the Collins Pine Sawmill in Lakeview uh, for several years. Um, it was a really good job and paid more than I'm getting paid now. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a local grown, homegrown uh, uh, Paisley Summer Lake boy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, born and raised Summer Lake, Oregon. Um, homeschooled my whole life. Uh, I, uh, my family moved here back in the 70s. Um, I think it was uh, 77 when they finally settled down. Uh, my folks had six kids. That was one of the last ones. And, uh, but yeah, they say uh, you're not a local really for the first hundred years. Um, so we have another 50 to go. Yeah. Yeah. I know that feeling. I've been here for 25 years and I'm still the outsider. So I know how that goes. It is what it is. Yeah. So what made you want to run for county commissioner? Was it one issue uh, that you saw in our county and our state, or was it kind of just a variety of reasons that you had? I got two words. I didn't. You didn't? Uh, <laughs> uh, I actually, I was, I was really enjoying my work at the sawmill, uh, working as a lumber grader. Um, it, was, it was a good job. I liked the people I worked with. But uh, I came home one day. I was doing 80-hour weeks, 70-hour weeks, and uh, came home to Summer Lake. Lakeview sat down on the couch all my family were there my brothers and sisters and uh, my wife sat down was petting the dog looked up and everyone was looking at me <laughs> and uh, I was kind of at a loss and they all looked at me and they said you need to run for county commissioner and I was like no way I'm not doing that <laughs> and uh, it just kind of went from there I actually argued with my family for 
about three, four months saying no, um, and that I didn't want to do it, looking for the reasons why I should. My father being one of the only people that did not tell me what I needed to do, um, and also being the one person that I really went to asking whether or not he thought I should do it, and uh, he wouldn't give me an answer. So I, uh, I just prayed about it a lot with my wife, and we finally came down to the decision that it was what I needed to do. I didn't really have an axe to grind, had no big crusade I was wanting to do. Dan Chown had been our commissioner for about 12 years. Uh, Dan Chown was from Paisley. He was kind of our, our northern commissioner. We really liked Dan. Dan. Dan was very educated, very smart, very articulate, and um, he had just announced that he was not going to run again, and it was that fall of uh, 2017, I believe it was. Um, and we were all kind of bummed about it, but furthest thing from my mind was the idea that I was going to take his place. And um, every my family apparently had other plans. So uh, do you know if there's ever been a commissioner up on the north end, from up on the north end? I mean, I'm talking North Lake, Christmas, uh, Summer Lake? Not that I know of. Um, in fact, I, I'm going through county records, no. There, I... George Carlin was the most northern commissioner this Lake County's ever had. He lived on Carlin Lane, which I also incidentally live on Carlin Lane. Oh. And uh, he, uh, he, he was a good commissioner, served for, I believe, 16, almost 20 years. Uh, he, he was uh, around a long time. He was commissioner when my family moved out here in the 70s. Um, uh, did a lot. Uh, you go through the county records and George, he was part of a lot of really big things for Lake County, really getting us into the modern day and really structuring a lot of the, the county government structure and getting us where we needed to be. So, you know, you go through the minutes of the old meetings and it's George Carlin this, George Carlin yeah. that, because he, he was really instrumental in the county government. I thought George Carlin was a comedian. <laughs> Spelled differently. Oh, okay. A different George Carlin. Yeah, no, George Carlin, he was he was a homegrown boy. He he the Carlin family's been here forever. Um his family settled in Summer Lake years ago. He grew up there. Um he served in World War II in the Sherman Tank yeah, on the beaches of Normandy. Uh came back home and uh, he was you know, he was a farmer. That's what he liked to do. And uh, he had three sons and him and Patsy lived down at the very end of Carlin Lane, right off 31. Uh and he uh Patsy's still there, living with her, uh, one of her sons, just kind of, kind of takes care of her. So did you have a past in local politics or anything like that, or uh, being some sort of like public figures type of things that made your family want to, or that made your family think you were good for county commissioner? No, I think I, I was opinionated. Very. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I always had opinions about politics. I had no problem voicing them. It came off, I think, a lot as arrogance, uh, when in fact it was just, I would say it was just confidence and not have, being afraid to speak about what I what I thought. And as a general rule, I did not like politicians. Um, I My typical reaction when, I, when it came to politics was looking at the newspaper and saying, okay, so which one of these guys do I have to vote for now that's gonna steal the least of my rights? That was my general reaction to politics. And so it's very strange, honestly, to be sitting in that chair now. But. Well, I mean, if that's how you look at politics, it's probably a good thing that you're in that chair, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Causing a little bit of change, I guess, yeah, since you're not necessarily a politician. Yeah, perspective is a funny thing. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you, 2020, what a year to be a politician, yeah, especially no, being a new at it. Yeah. So 
when we were emailing back and forth getting this interview set up, I mentioned something about encouraging my dad to run for county commissioner because he absolutely refuses to do it, even though he's, like you said, very opinionated. And Well, like you said about yourself, my dad is also very opinionated and not really afraid to voice his opinions. Um, you said, I can never with good conscience encourage even my worst enemy to take this job. So I'm sure you're joking at least a little bit, but can you elaborate on that? I wasn't joking at all. <laughs> I would, that was probably the most serious point of my email to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, honestly, the job it takes a lot of sacrifice if you're looking to do it well. Um, it takes a big toll on your family. Uh, my wife and I have been married about six years now, and we we really it's hard to com- make the commute, let alone all the other things that uh, you have to do and all, meet all the responsibilities and make sure you're doing your due diligence and do your duty. Um, by law, I'm only required to be in the office two days a month. Um, but that, if that's all you're showing up to the job, you really need to just pack your bags and go home. And so for me, um, it, it's a big learning experience. I don't think I want to take the responsibility on my shoulders when it comes to encouraging someone to run for this office. It has to be something that you make the decision to do and something that, you know, you, you pray about and come to that conclusion with your family, because ultimately that's who's, who you're going to have to live through that with. But it requires a lot of soul searching, I think, in order to do this job and requires all service. Yeah. So one thing I put on the outline here, we'll get, I mean, I jumped out, Justin, and uh, talking about Facebook and people complaining, and I've, I've seen you on Facebook, and I, I'll tell you what, I, I feel bad for you. People should be grateful that we have a commissioner up on the north end and all the time you put in. But I cannot believe all the crap that I see on Facebook specifically <laughs> on uh, complaining about our commissioners. It's like, I think one time you even said, I'm going to bed. If you have a problem, deal with it yourself. So <laughs> the, question, the question is, is now, how do you handle the complaints and badgering that you get daily on Facebook? It's, Facebook's become a cesspool. But anyway, answer the question, please. <laughs> okay. Ah, gosh, ah, there's a lot there uh, to unpack. But no, honestly, Facebook, I look at it as this. Generally, people are just voicing their concerns. And is it hard uh, to stomach occasionally when people are so direct? about their frustrations and they might not, you could say, okay, maybe they don't understand all the issues, but that's, I, I feel like that's a cop out too. And so I, I, I'm very, I'm very attentive in reading everything that people say and, and trying to give it as much merit as I can and trying to understand why people feel the way they do. And, and I get the frustration, especially in a year like 2020, I have seen 2020 break seasoned commissioners who have been holding office for 18, 20 years. When it comes to Facebook in that kind of public forum, honestly, I don't think that the world is prepared to deal with Facebook and social media. <laughs> yeah. I, I really don't think I it agree. is. I mean, think, thinking back, there, there has never been a time in history where leaders of our nation or leaders of our county or leaders of our community and leaders of our state can think about something, have that thought and put it out on Facebook, Twitter, wherever it be, and communicate with an entire nation and even the entire world and within that instant that they put that out there with giving no real thought to any of these complex issues just it's a thought it came into my mind this is what i think i'm going to put that out there 
everyone can respond to it as well. And giving it about the same time and energy and thought as far as their responses to those things. Like I mean, they can read it and be like, I don't like that at all. Or, oh, that's really great. I really like that. I'm going to respond to that. And even though it was an angry comment, um, the, I, I think back on that one comment that I made on Facebook and I was, I was going to bed and I was just like, nah, I'm done with this. It was a long day. I heard everyone's <laughs> complaints. I had, I had received probably 50 phone calls that day. And unlike some people, my cell phone is on the internet. Like people can get a hold of me. And I, and I try to answer my phone anytime someone calls me and give them the same amount of time that I would anyone else. Like I'm here, I'm willing to listen. And it's good for me to listen to those things. But I think the real feeling behind that comment, I think most people read it like, oh man, James is at the end of his rope. Like that's, <laughs> that's not usual for him. But I think what I was actually trying to channel a little bit of John Wayne and just out here, man settles his own problems. Everyone wants to complain. Everyone wants to, <sighs> gotta watch my language here. So <laughs> this is a PG-13 podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I, I can do it, I can do this. <laughs> um, but every, everyone has their beef that they want to get out there and they want to they want to tell you that they're angry and they're mad about this issue or that. Here's a new concept, figure it out yourself. T really, take ownership and take on a little bit of individual responsibility for your own life. And that I think was the essence of my heart at the time when I wrote that but I don't think it came out very well because of my sarcasm and Facebook and social media does not process sarcasm very well. I think that's a good answer. I think we can end the podcast right there. Right? That, that's <laughs> a pretty good message. Yeah. Call that around. Yeah. No, that, that's a great answer. And uh, like I say, I, I, I thought it was a great response today and on Facebook too, because I get really frustrated the same thing. Just stop yeah. complaining people and, and do something for yourselves for crying out loud. Yeah. Right. And get, get involved. If you, if you really want to be part of the solution, be part of it, like get involved call me up and don't just complain. Tell me what you think really needs to happen and then come and be part of the solution with me and we can go work on this. I mean, my door is open. There's no metal detector. There's no security. There's nothing needed in order to get in to come and talk to me at my office. No, no wall or of bureaucrats or paper pushers or anything. You come into my office, you call my cell phone and I'm there. I'm willing to listen. So be part of the solution, not the problem. And I think if they did do that, got in touch with you in person or over the phone, then it'd be a way different scenario because people tend to get a little rowdy when they're just looking at a screen and not face to face. Oh, right. No, there's a tremendous amount of bravery behind that keyboard. Yeah. And uh, that, that goes away when you're in person. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that we have to deal with in society now. I think it's an actual real issue. Uh, where keyboard warriors or whoever be, no matter what political lean someone might have, it's, it, it doesn't matter. It's a nonpartisan issue, actually, in society where people tend to voice their frustrations in a very inappropriate and inhumane manner sometimes yeah. uh, without giving any thought to the repercussions or the fact that, you know, you're talking to another human being on the other side of that. And, and all those things hurt. Yeah, absolutely. I think they probably hurt my wife more than they hurt me because I can usually let things roll off. Um, but, uh, you know, no one wants to ever hear their family members being talked about in a negative light. But I always tell her, they're not talking about me, honey. They're talking about the other two guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think that's a pretty good message. So now let's move on to our conversation about the Bratton fire. 
so we've had a pretty huge problem in Oregon with wildfires this year, but even in the past four or five years and, you know, the last decade. So what are your opinions on Oregon uh, forest management and wildfire policy, and how do you see that whole issue? How much time do you got? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we can do a series if you want. Yeah, no, yeah, right. uh, quick summary, I don't think that our natural resources are being managed appropriately, but a lot of that comes through public policy and through federal policy, state policy, in terms of managing our, our lands and public lands. Um, I think that I was just on a phone call the other day, um, and I'm really grateful to many of our public employees and uh, the uh, folks that work for our agencies. BLM called us, initiating conversation with myself and Commissioner Albertson, and they wanted to let us know that they are planning a uh, prescribed burn in the Warner Valley over near Plush and Adel. And they need to burn off a bunch of tule reeds and everything else, but they know that on the heels of the Bratton fire, thinking about doing prescribed burning right now makes people a little nervous, especially being that we haven't had the moisture that we typically would expect by this time of year. Uh, I mean, all the trees and everything else are still green. They're just, the temperatures haven't even dropped. So uh, the, I, I was appreciative of the fact that they reached out and talked to us. And Commissioner Alverson had a good, good um, point that he wanted to make home. And I knew he was going to make it too, so I just let him do it. And uh, he said, why don't we graze it off? Because we're talking prescribed burning on a wetland. So why don't we graze that area off first and then do it? And they actually, the answer was, which makes sense when you think about it, the answer was is that if you graze it first, the continuity of fuels breaks up. So the prescribed fire doesn't burn appropriately. And I thought to myself, so what you're saying is grazing prevents wildfires. And and they they said, uh yeah. So <laughs> how is that such a hard concept yeah. for people to understand? I mean, we talk about it, we've been talking about it for a hundred years, and we still can't get people to understand that basic concept. I mean, fire is a tool that you can use to treat the landscape. Absolutely, in our forests, I mean, you go talk to the old timers in Silver Lake and some of these other areas and they'll tell you, I mean, back in the day when they marched the cows out of those woods, every year, the last man out of the woods would light, the, light it on fire. But it wasn't lighting the forest on fire. They, they ran through that area, they grazed it off first and then they put down those spot fires. And if you go up during, through some of these areas, you'll see that little black charring in the bottom of some of these trees that are actually widened open. And some of the, there's spacing between some of these trees that are not, they're not just big thickets of dried wood and fuels and everything else. And the branches have been knocked off by the cows and everything else. So there's really no low hanging branches for the fires and flames to catch going up into the higher ends of the trees. I mean, all these things are tools in order to treat the landscape. Fire is an important part of it, but everything that the cowboys used to do, they learned from the Indians in terms of treating the landscape. Fire is a tool, but it's not the only tool at our disposal. And uh, thinning those woods out, thinning out those groves and everything else, bringing, out, bringing some of that other timber down, especially treating some of that older growth. And now we have a bill that we're really pushing hard, and I think it will pass, where we do away with the 21 inch rule, being able to take some of that older growth, letting that younger growth go grow and taking away that competition for water and everything else to where those younger trees that have been stunted by the larger old growth trees that have an end of life, that they'll start to, they'll be able to grow more and they'll be able to take on carbon and bring in more carbon where the older trees, they, they cap out. Think of it like a bank, Tree, trees get to an end of life and then they can't store any more carbon. So you say you got a bill, do you think you're gonna get support from our 
more democratic leaning uh, brethren on the west side to get this bill passed? It's hard to say. Uh, special interest groups are always very, uh, they're always very vocal, but we have a number of them at the table already because this is the science behind it. OSU actually was a huge part of this conversation. And this wasn't our bill or by any means, but and it's not really even just a bill. It's, it's really changing the policy and doing away with that 21 inch rule and it being a bill that was left over from the Clinton administration years ago that is really hindering our ability to treat our forests appropriately. By taking off all this young growth, there's nothing else to replace the old growth when it reaches the end of its life. Uh, beetle kill, everything else start moving in, they rot from the inside out, and there's nothing there for sustainability in the future. And I really don't think that sustainability is where the conversation should end. I really think that restoration is where we need to really be looking at because uh, uh, sustainability just says we're gonna maintain the status quo but then you have a major forest fire go through an area where you lose all your timber. Sustainability isn't questioning anymore. It's actually restoring, giving back what, more than what we took. And I think the special interest groups have hindered us tremendously for our timber sales. And they, they appeal every single time they do a timber sale for, the, for our sawmill. We used to have five sawmills in this county. And they contributed a lot to our timber receipts and everything else that enabled the county to fix roads and everything else. But now we have one. We have one, and it depends, about 60% of the lumber that they put out, they depend on public land. So that was something that came up during the Bratton fire because they're burning a large portion of it was on federal and, and uh, public lands. And the idea was, well, it's not on private land yet. It's not on green diamond land yet. Well, that's not the right way to look at it because guess what? That public land that you're talking about, that's ours. Those are, that's our land. Those are our forests. So the idea of saying, well, it's okay if that burns. No, it's not. Because our timber mill, the one sawmill that we have left in this county, depends 60% of the timber that they produce. They depend on the public land uh, timber sales. Only 40% of it they take off of the private land. So, no. I mean, if you burn all the public land off, you actually do risk that. You risk um, you know, hurting the, uh, the industry, the lumber industry. You're hurting our lands and the ecosystem and the thousands of biomes that cover this. And that's the real problem with politics is that it's a one-size-fits-all. They, they institute policies for treatment over thousands and thousands of different biomes, and it just doesn't work because you need to have respect for the environment in which you are actually treating, and it's different. The, the same as every county in Oregon is different. If you've been to one county, you've been to one county. There are 36, and we do, they do business differently on a political level. We do things differently on a cultural level. At a geographical level for natural resources, we need to treat our natural resources with the amount of respect that um, that is owed to it. So, hey, is this a? Would you say this is more of a federal issue or a state issue, or both? I mean, where's where's the policy in the with the twenty one inch rule coming from? Well, I, let me, if I want to add here, I think that same bill that Clinton signed that did the 21 inch rule is what made it so hard to do prescribed burns too, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's a really good question, Chad, actually. the, the um, I think it's both, really. I, I would even say it's a local government issue because I think our county commissioners need to get involved with our legislators and our reps and senators here in Eastern Oregon. We're pretty strong as a, as a group because uh, we, we tend to get together on these issues and we know this is a big big topic. We're pretty united and we have weekly calls with our senator and reps and everything else. And we even have Western Oregon 
uh, excuse me, legislators that are getting involved in the conversation now because they see how strong we are and what a strong voice we have when we send a letter in. And it, it's not just a bunch of letters that are copy and pasted. It's one letter with a united voice that hasn't been altered. It's something that we actually agree on. And there's 40 county commissioners signing it. There are five or six senators and multiple representatives, and we're all coming together and we're sending this directly to the governor's office or to a, a state senator back in D.C. Um, uh, so those things, those things matter. The policy, the where it's coming from, is definitely coming from the federal level. But I think that our federal partners have to play a part in that as well. And obviously, ODF, their treatment of public lands as well. ODF's been a great partner uh, for you know, stopping the Bratton fire and everything else. And I'm not trying to throw our federal guys under the bus at all because all of our federal guys, our federal agencies, they, they're, they're populated by our locals. They're populated by the people that actually live here. And they really do care about the environment. I think it is, it does come down to policy from the up and ups that just simply can't articulate or re-articulate what we're telling them from the other side of the country. And well, we try to express it to them, but then there's politics. Yeah. Well, I think th that's a pretty big message that Representative Breeze Iverson was pushing last week is that we really need to listen to local governments and local people because they're the ones that know how to manage the land and the natural resources. Well, yeah, we're the boots on the ground. I mean, this is this is our county. We, we understand the county better than anyone else because we live here. We live here every day. We're able to talk to these people. We bump into them in the stores and the restaurants that we go to church with them. Um, so we can articulate the issue. It just takes work. And um, then we bring it back to the DC and we hopefully get our message across as to this is what we need to do to help treat our natural resources. Bratton fire was was really sad, 50,000 acres. I mean, but all the fires around Oregon, this, is, this should be a wake up call to us that it's not just climate change. It really is a management issue as well. Because when you can, you can say climate change and, and I'm not denying that there is change in our climate, but when say 60, 70, or 80% of the fires that you have are human caused, which you know is pretty typical for like Lake County for a lot of the fires that we have, a lot of human caused fires that we have throughout the year. You can't just blame that on the environment or changing climate because that it, it really does have something to do with the management of the fuels that are out there and they're, the the environment's inability to protect itself naturally from these fires that are going to happen. And not to get too political here, Mr. Walden, I'll be careful. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, but... sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I'm you're, you you're fine. Your place. Yeah, no, you're... You ask my opinion, I'm going to give it. That's unfortunately the, the, the deal. Yeah, you're fine. But uh, if you really are worried about the environment like so many of the people in our state legislature are, I feel like it's probably a better idea to actually manage your forest rather than putting up the millions of tons of CO2 and other greenhouse gas emissions that come up in these forest fires. And if we even are talking about even smaller level like forest management, grazing, that's probably a way better way to do it than say prescribed burns because you're taking all the things that could burn, you're putting them towards beef or you're putting them towards any other product that you're gonna get out of that industry and you're boosting the economy in general rather than just burning it and letting it go. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, that's the thing about this this topic. Um, a lot of people will grab onto a soundbite and they'll say, it's this issue. Bumper sticker politics. Right. And it's not that simple. Fire is a part of treating our, our natural resources. 
the grazing is a method of treating our natural resources. All these things are and actually, you know, it, in some of these areas, it's not going to work to just send in a bunch of cows and maybe we can't get enough cows to treat the amount of acreage that we need to treat. But that's, this is part of management. We find, we use all the tools at our disposal. Um, unfortunately, public land policy has limited the ability that our agencies and our natural resource departments have of uh, managing the landscape appropriately. And that's, that's basically in a nutshell what I, what I think uh, um, we could talk about that all day, honestly, in terms of what we need to do to treat it better. Yeah, so if you were uh, the head of the Oregon Department of Forestry right now, uh, would you take an approach that's more localized, like you've been talking about, where you let the people on the ground do the work, or would you like try to kind of just delegate powers to people? What would you do to prevent these things in the future? Honestly, I think our, well, if, if that's a real big hypothetical, um, I think if I had the ability and I could wave a magic wand uh, to solve that, I think I would try and pull a lot of the leaders together in those communities. I would urge them to get involved and give their thoughts and opinions on a lot of these things. Yeah, which is a really good idea. Uh, rather, rather bring the people to the table, because I don't know, I don't have all the answers. I, can't I don't think anybody does. That's the thing is you gotta, like you're saying, you gotta recruit people to do have the answers. Yeah, bring, bring, you know, you can bring the experts in, but also remember, bring in the people that care. Because you can, you can have all the opinions and the education in the world, but if you don't care, that's a big problem. So you bring the stakeholders to the table and people that matters to. Yeah. So I think that's going to pretty much conclude our podcast. Um, massive thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm sure that we can have conversations about this and many other things in the future that could go on for hours. But for now, that's all we're going to have today. So thank you for listening. Uh, you can find the Cowboy Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Uh, weekly episodes are also shared on the North Lake FFA Facebook page. And if you would be a kind soul, please go and share these uh, posts on Facebook and other places with all your friends, either on social media or just show them by word of mouth so we can get some new listeners and engage more with our community. Uh, also leave us reviews where you can so that we can be found by new people organically online. Uh, once again, thank you, James Williams, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we will talk to you next week.